EMDR therapy has become a proven solution for many mental health issues. Boost your skills with EMDR and Beyond's live and online training for EMDR clinicians. Visit healingconfessionals.com backslash beyond to get an exclusive $15 discount on your next EMDR specialty training. Hello and welcome back to Healing Confessionals. Today my guest is Hope Payson, a licensed clinical social worker, alcohol and drug counselor, and an EMDRIA approved consultant who specializes in the treatment of addiction and trauma. She has over 20 years of experience working in community mental health settings in the following capacities. Director of Supportive Housing Program for Domestic Violence Survivors, Coordinator of an Assertive Community Treatment Team, and Originator of a Homeless Outreach Program that included on-site assessment, treatment placement, and long-term follow-up for clients with histories of addiction and trauma. She was also the Clinical Director for EMDR HAP for seven years and remains an active HAP volunteer. She currently coordinates a group private practice in Winstead, Connecticut. She provides EMDR consultations to clinicians working in private and community settings. I really enjoyed our conversation and I really value Hope's experience and expertise in the area of addiction and I think you will too. Enjoy the show. All right, so welcome Hope. Thank you. All right, so you did a talk for EMDR and Beyond on addictions, and then you have also produced a documentary about addiction. So I thought we would just do kind of an overview of it all, starting with for those of us who live in the Midwest and aren't faced with the opioid crisis every day. What would you What would you tell us? Um, that addiction has been a part of our community, all of our communities for generations. It's just that um, fentanyl has really heated it up. Um, So because it's so deadly, um, and that's what we're facing on the East Coast, but I'm sure all all of the country, you know, um, but if it isn't that, there's other drugs. Um, But because um, you can purchase drugs and you don't know the quantity of fentanyl that's in it, the overdose rate has gone up significantly for us. And actually since the pandemic started, um, it's gone up, uh, overdose rates have gone up 30%. Oh my goodness. Yeah, but the good news is um, we have a wide distribution of um, Narcan now that we didn't have and much more harm reduction. So in our community, when this would happen, we would lose a lot of people, but we aren't uh, losing as many because people have access to Narcan and education about how to use it. So now we're actually getting people um, using the Narcan, landing in the ER, and getting offered services when they may not have before. So for people who are not familiar with Narcan, uh, how would you describe what it is? Um, Narcan is a medication that will rever- reverse an overdose. Gotcha. So if, some, if you find someone who looks like they're overdosing and you administer Narcan, which can be done na- uh, through the nose, mm-hmm. the nasal spray, you can reverse the overdose, save their life, um, and have the opportunity to talk to them about recovery and um, treatment. So, which brings us to where you come in, <laughs> treatment and recovery. Um, what would you say, again, for both clinician, clinicians and lay people, what some of our newer understandings of addiction are now and how to treat, how to best treat it and understand it? Yeah, I've been doing addiction work for 30 years um, and it's changed significantly from a model that was really all based on um, the DNA and the influence of DNA to a a broader understanding now about the synergy between um, 
one's DNA or uh, vulnerability to addiction and um, the influence of uh, trauma and neglect. Mm -hmm. You can carry the DNA. Our understanding of it now is you can carry the DNA and be vulnerable to having an addictive disorder, but it is that um, exposure to adverse childhood experiences or trauma and neglect that make it more likely. Mm -hmm. so, um, if we can intervene, so the good news about that is if we can do early intervention and work with families where this has been a pattern, you know, and address trauma early, people will be less vulnerable. Mm -hmm. um, for the, those clients that are older, I work with adults. Um, a lot of the work involves um, looking at their history of addiction as a response to their trauma and helping them have a little compassion for themselves about why they may have reached out for substances, how they nobody who reaches out to substances plans on becoming addicted or disappointing themselves or others, you know, uh, but it makes more sense when you help people look at their childhood, understand the pain that they lived through, the lack of skill that they got um, because of that pain and because maybe their parents were preoccupied um, and how um, treatment now involves that. So treatment used to be very focused on abstinence and getting away from the drug. Um, there was less focus on trying to understand uh, why you were already vulnerable to begin with. Mm -hmm. Now we um, really can offer both about how to get abstinent, how to gain the skills you need to stay abstinent, um, and then also how to address the trauma so that you're less vulnerable to relapse. Right. Yeah, so I, um, I looked over the handouts that those who got the benefit of going to your training, which I did years ago, but not recently. Um, and you talked about the different different reasons people do do look to drugs or so I think it's common for people to hear self-medication, but I think it's it's a lot more complicated than that in some instances. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, um, certainly self-medication is one reason, but sometimes if you think about growing up um, as a child where there's a lot of trauma. So there's a lot going on, a lot of negative things happening, not a lot of skills being taught. And also you miss everything that you would have gotten in a normal childhood, like learning how to date, learning how to handle feelings, learning how to ask for help. You know, so um, it's sometimes addictive behaviors become a substitute for things that you should get in a normal, healthy life. You know, so if you have a lot of pain, and people aren't resources for you, you're gonna be very vulnerable to reaching outside and getting those things that might help you. So it's really beyond um, self-medication for some. For some, it's like a resource, it becomes a, a coping skill. It becomes a friend. Um, yeah. Sometimes people will say, the first time I drank, I fell in love. You know, it felt like a relationship. It's a dysfunctional relationship, but it kind of works. You know, and the brain is very interested in things that kind of work. You know, so if I'm in a lot of pain and I drink and that pain goes away, I develop a relationship with alcohol um, versus another human being. You know? Yeah, alcohol becomes my nurturer. Yeah, my friend, my partner, my lover, yeah. my, my everything. And that is um, why when some people have to let go of addictive behavior, it feels like a grief process. Yeah. You know, because I'm letting go of something that, I have learned to rely on because many times human beings weren't available, you know, or human beings were not reliable. Mm -hmm. So it can be like an, um, a substitute for that. It can be a way to numb out pain. It can be a way to be different. If I don't have the skills to be different. 
So if I need to stand up for myself and certain behaviors make me feel, um, or certain addictions make me feel like I can, you know, it, it's a way, I guess it's a way of trying to master life when you weren't given a big box of coping skills. Right. And so uh, you mentioned, you know, part of therapy then is often providing them with some of those skills. And I would imagine some, some relationship as the therapist as well, some of that solid base that they didn't have in other relationships early in life. Yes, definitely. So the first part of therapy with someone with an addictive disorder and a history of trauma is to try to work it out with the therapist. Mm-hmm. You know, most of my clients were not people that came to me with trauma because of a natural disaster or because they were at war. They came to me because they were hurt by people that said they loved them, that they loved, um, that yeah. said that they were trustworthy or they could be trusted. So the first um, injury that you're repairing as a therapist is to be trustworthy and to help um, people feel like they can trust another human being. Mm-hmm. And then you springboard from that. So a lot of times when people come in to see me, um, I'm trying to be consistent. I'm trying, I'm trying to help that person learn a different skill. Instead of relying on alcohol, can you call You know, somebody who is your friend? This is how you make a friend. These are the things that you look for to see if somebody's trustworthy. So yeah, there's a lot of skill building, but human beings are incredibly resilient and we can learn fast. Um, and I've seen people who have no reason to trust any human being learn very quickly to begin to through therapy and other things. Um, so people can repair that and then develop um, coping skills that actually are help life rather than harm their life. Well, and I think sometimes when we talk about addiction or the general public talks about addiction, I think it's forgotten that people have an innate desire to do these things. It's like you said, it's like nobody says, oh, I, I can't wait to get addicted to cocaine and to destroy my life. Like, that's not what anyone is is after. I mean, everybody wants to be whole and loved and loving and all of those things. Right. It's a normal human thing. But also, um, human beings will do a lot to survive. So in an unusual circumstance, when you can't get what you need in any other way, we'll do whatever we need to do to survive. So that's how addictions start really young for many people with food, with being, and they're not just drugs and alcohol. That's my specialty area. But a lot of people are addicted to all kinds of things, work, being perfect, um, gambling, sex, love, you know, um, Mm -hmm. everything can be done compulsively, you know, over time. Mm-hmm. And it's about trying to get some balance because there are some things that we get compulsive about that we can't stop doing and we mm-hmm. don't want to stop doing. We have to just get them in balance and use them. It's about a relationship with it. You know, so if my relationship with love you know, and sex is not balanced, it's not going to be a great life for me. I'm not going to get what I want. You know, It's about trying to get balanced. Yep, and have it be in its proper place in its life. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you said you've been doing addictions work for 30 years. What would you say are maybe um, three things that you see repeatedly? So we've talked about a lot about like attachment and skills and things like that, but are there any things that you just have learned over time? I have to investigate these three areas. Well, I think I'm always looking for where 
the relationship with human beings was broken mm -hmm. and how it impacts the client. Most of the time, it's very hard um, to get into recovery from trauma or addiction without other human beings. So one of the first yeah. things I want to know is, can you ask for help? And are you willing to try? And what work for you? So I'm always looking at that, um, the ability to ask for help. Um, I'm trying to tap into people's healthy um, survival skills, like willingness and determination that I do see in many of the people I work with. They are naturally determined. They're survivors. They've been through a lot. But can we take those skills and use them to help you rather than mm -hmm. hurt you? Um, and about, I think that the shame piece has to be addressed, that it's about um, not what's wrong with you, but what happened to you. This is Gabor Mate talks yep. about this and others, you know, like reframing it. Like, um, it's not that there's something wrong with you. I can see you're trying very hard to survive. I know this isn't the life you want. Um, let's figure out together in relationship how we can come up with a better life for you or a better way of coping. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I guess taking the shame out of the room, developing a relationship um, with people, and then tapping into their strengths would be the yeah, three things. Yeah. I love that. So let's talk a little bit about the documentary. Mm -hmm. um, what, how, do, how was that birthed? Um, where can people find it? What can they, what can they um, look forward to when watching it? Um, the name of the film is Uprooting Addiction. Um, it was created because I wanted to um, bring real people's stories to a conference presentation. Rather than me talking about people, I wanted people to see them. And so I invited 13 people to my home to talk about um, the roots of their addiction um, mm -hmm. and what it is. And each, was, each person was different. And I looked around. I sent an email out and asked, does anybody know a filmmaker and a filmmaker answered, um, which is just a little miracle. Yeah. And, um, I'm willing to come and listen. So she came and listened. We spent the day together building this tree and, and it's in the film, featured in the film. Each person tells their story and what is their particular route. So not only their addiction, but their recovery, like what helped them. And after the day was over, um, she said, this isn't a little clip for a conference. This is a documentary. And um, then we partnered and mm -hmm. formed a nonprofit and raised money. This was now, I think, five years ago. Mm -hmm. The film is completed, um, and it really traces the lives. We had 13 people, but we had to focus on, um, I think we had six people's stories mm -hmm. that we focus on and uh, follow them through the film. And it's, a, it's kind of a happy ending, so it's not a, um, not a sad, depressing film. It's more a film about different people talking frankly about what caused them to be vulnerable and then how they got into recovery and what's going on in their life since. And each person mm -hmm. takes a different pathway. Some try traditional therapy, some go to 12-step programs, some find spirituality. So um, that's their, their story. It's an hour long um, and it was in the film festival stage. So I've been showing it for free. Um, it's a grassroots film, so you bring it to a community you show it and you talk um, it with the community about addiction and trauma to help the general person understand the connection more clearly. And um, then COVID hit and the film festivals were canceled, <laughs> but we just had a film festival open up. We got into about four now. 
um, and we're talking with a distributor. So once we have a distribution system in place, then we'll be able to tell people how to access the film. Mm-hmm. Now, if they go to our website, which is uprootingaddiction.com, and they give us their contact information, anytime the film is being shown, you'll get a little email telling you where, and once we get distribution set up, you'll find out how you can access it. Wonderful. Well, I know I'm looking forward to seeing it. <laughs> and I really appreciate you taking this time out of your day to talk to me. Great. Thank you so much. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye.